how you doing? Woohoo! All right, uh, you guys, everybody's like looking for a seat. Do you need some, y'all need help? I don't know, there's a bunch of people. You good? Look at you, y'all don't care it's raining. You're not afraid. I know, I know. I'm so glad that you are here. We're starting a new series this week. Are you ready? No, you are not. We're starting a new series this week. Are you ready? Yes, you're ready. I know it. All right. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I so invite you into this space. And Lord, we invite you into our hearts and our minds and ask that you would speak through your word. I pray that the things that we have come in with, Lord, that we could set them to the side for just the next few moments and that we could receive what it is that you want to impart to us. Thank you for this moment, Lord. Thank you for all of these people that are gathered in this room. And we just give this night to you in your name. Amen. All right. The new series is called Vice and Virtue. Vice and Virtue. And we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to give you a definition of what a virtue is and what a vice is. Here's a virtue. It's a strength of character. A commendable quality or trait. A vice is a shortcoming in character. A moral failing or a bad habit. It even defines a vice as an evil behavior, which seems harsh to me. But it's true. Vice and virtue, a strength of character and a shortcoming of character. So here's what I want you to help me do tonight. Now, I know we haven't been together long. We're just getting to know each other. But you need to know I like a talk back crowd. Okay, I don't know how you grew up. I don't know if you, like, grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church. If you grew up in church and you grew up in the church, like, you weren't supposed to talk, right? Move. You weren't supposed to lift your hands. You weren't supposed to do anything like that. I grew up in that kind of church. My mom would pinch us if we did anything like that. So I don't know if, it was, if that was what it was for you. But I like a little bit of a talk back crowd. So I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you to give me answers to the question. Can you do that? It's not rhetorical. Can you do that? Okay. I want you to think of somebody that you have known or do know that you would say is a virtuous person. So that would mean a person of character, a person that you might say, now you might not use the word virtue because that would sound weird and silly. We don't talk that way anymore. But you would say that they have it. And I want you to tell me what it is about them, what are they like that would cause you to say they're a person of virtue? Go ahead and tell me what are they like, what do they do, what makes you say that about them? Their heart. Integrity, I need confidence, honest, loyal. <laughs> you were in church this weekend, weren't you? All right. Miles said he likes the word zeal, y'all. He just does. When you see him and he speaks again, just try and use it as much as you can just to annoy him. So zeal, what else? What else is a person of character and virtue? Humble. You know what? If you're not sure, think of someone that doesn't have character and what you wish they had. Now, y'all could do that, right? Patience. Patience. Self-control. Oh, see, now we're getting started. And, and, and sir, I feel like you've got somebody in mind. But I'm getting a lot of responses from you. Okay, and you said what else? Caring. Caring. Discipline, honorable, selfless, honest. Anything else you want to add? Really honest, like super, super honest. Consistent. Y'all are like, we're saying it. You don't hear me. Okay. What else? Anything else you want to add? Respect. <laughs> Respect, and somebody said both. Okay. Um, this is a decent list, right? Do you guys know anybody like this? Have you ever? Yeah? Okay. Have you known people close to this, like they just have a lot of these things? Have you known people that are missing quite a few of these things? Which one are you? 
if I asked people who knew you, if you were a person of virtue, what would they say? Yeah? You would hope, right? I feel like this is a pretty stacked list. I feel like, I mean, maybe on my best day, I might be able to hit a lot of these, but I think even on my best day, I'm falling short in a couple, right? And we turn to vices. There's virtue and there's vices. So we are going to sit each of these weeks in this series in a particular virtue and a particular vice. See, in 2 Peter 1.5, it says this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with what? Virtue. Make every single effort. Do everything you can to take your faith and add to it virtue. That yes, believe in God and believe that God is working in you and through you, but also add to your faith virtue. Also, let him do this in you. Also, choose to be a person of virtue and character. So here is the virtue for tonight. To be a person who is responsible. Now, I sat down with Sierra and Alex this week, and we were talking about this series, and they said, well, what, you know, what are you going to kick it off with? And I said, well, I'm thinking of going to kick the first one off with responsibility. And they looked at me, and they went, oh, yeah, that's, uh, ooh, that sounds fun. Um, so you, you feel like that's, yeah, no, it's great, it's great, no, you do, yeah, okay. I was like, no, responsibility, I know it sounds really boring, and I know it sounds really, really dull, but, but just trust me, we're going to dive into it. It's going to be really good. And they're like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, sure. Okay, so here we are. But I promise if you'll hang with me, responsible, responsibility, we're going to take it somewhere tonight. Here's a question, and write this down if you have a bulletin, if you have notes, because it's something I want you to reflect on. Here's your question. Am I taking responsibility for my life? Am I taking responsibility for my life? Now, last week I told you that uh, when I was in high school, I played fast pitch softball. And, uh, and another little known fact is I was also a cheerleader. That's right. I lost half of the room's respect in that moment, and the other half gained a little bit. But uh, not like the, the dumb kind. Not that. Like... You know, like the backflip, throw up in the air, like having to lift weights, like the athletic, competitive kind, right? And I, I'm sorry. If you're the other kind, I'm sorry. It's, I don't know what to say to you. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, don't leave. Now, so is that when I got older and um, I graduated from college and I started te- teacher. I used to be an English teacher. And... Uh, I was asked to start coaching the varsity girls cheerleading squad at the school that I was a teacher at. Now, when you become a coach of a cheerleading squad, that again, it was like that competitive squad, what I learned is that the cheerleaders weren't the problem, it was their parents. Y'all, they make lifetime movies about parents of cheerleaders who kill other parents of cheerleaders. Because their kid didn't make it, and this girl did. When we would have tryouts, the assistant coach and I would do the tryouts. We would tell them who made the squad, and then we would leave out the back. Not even kidding, because these these mothers are dangerous people. In one particular game, we had a rule, because if you've ever played any athletics, those of you who are athletes or you ever, and you know there are rules and there are standards and there are things that your coaches call you to and there are things for safety and there are just things for discipline and all of that. And one of the rules was that you had to wear a particular shoe, tennis shoe, um, for safety reasons. I mean, you're, you're um, throwing girls up in the air, you're doing gymnastics, often on grass, which can sometimes be wet if it's raining in the game. And so you had to wear a particular shoe. And one night, I had this girl on the squad, and she forgot her shoes. And she had on flip-flops. And she came down into the field and thinking that she was going to be able to 
um, participate that night, and I kindly, I really, really was kind, said, I'm so sorry, her name was Courtney, you, I'm sorry, I can't let you do that tonight. I just can't let you do that. You're going to put other people at risk. You're going to put yourself at risk. I can't let you do that. Well, she walks off the field, and all of a sudden, here comes her mother. On to the football field, like on the field where the team is, the coaches. There are people in the stands. Comes this woman. Her name was Valinda. Of course it was. <laughs> it's a true story. She comes out, and this woman proceeds to rip me a new one, right? Like right there, so screaming and yelling at me. And so what a horrible coach, how irresponsible of me to ask her daughter to leave the field. Her daughter, who had earned that spot, who had a right to cheer that night. How dare I tell her she can't do what she had made the squad to be able to do. In fact, she thought it was my fault. She blamed the entire thing on me, had her uh, child take zero responsibility. It was all about her kids' rights and very little about responsible. That story with that girl happened over and over. See, I was also her teacher, and one day it was shoes, another day it might be a late paper, another day it was unexcused absence. It was just something, always. And always the mother viewed it as my fault if I gave consequences. We live, you know this, we live in a rights culture that rebels against responsibility, don't we? It's all about my rights. I can say what I want, it's my right. I can do what I want, it's a free country. And we seem to feel we bear no responsibility for the words that come out of our mouth or what they do to another person or the harm that they can cause. We care more about our rights than our responsibility. If we would focus more on our responsibility, our rights would start to make more sense. And like that cheerleader's parent, and that parent, I think, was teaching her daughter, is that we have the right to be irresponsible and you don't have the right to hold me accountable. And I would agree, we do have the freedom to be irresponsible. But I don't agree that we shouldn't be held accountable. If we're going to make that choice, then we're going to have to also understand we're making the choice to deal with whatever the consequences are that come our way. Or come other people's ways as a result of our choice. You are responsible to clean up the mess of your irresponsibility, as I am. But that's not what our culture says. You know, when you go into Starbucks or wherever you go to get coffee, <coughs> and on the cup, it'll say, like, hot coffee, right? You know why that is? It's because someone spilled coffee on themselves and then didn't want to deal with the fact that they spilled coffee on themselves, and so they sued the company and said, it's your fault, the coffee's too hot. You should have put hot coffee on the cup. Then I would have known that the coffee was hot. But this is the world we live in. Like whenever you see something like that, it's only there because someone somewhere along the line did something and was irresponsible and then blamed someone else for the consequences of it. How do you not know the coffee's hot? It's coffee. Like, I feel like it should, like, have something different. Like, if this coffee's hot, if you didn't know that, you, I, we can't help you. Like, you're just, I mean, it, of course, but that's what happens. So I want to give you a couple truths on responsibility tonight. First one's this. We were created for responsibility. We were created for it. I'm going to take you to a couple passages in Scripture tonight. We're actually going to cover um, quite a bit of real estate in the Bible tonight. Are you good with that? Like we're going to cover quite a bit. All right, we're going to dive in. We're going to go to Genesis 1 first, and we're going to start in verse 26. It'll be up on the screens. So Genesis 1. So we're back at the beginning, all right? Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So it says, they will reign over the fish in the sea. They will reign over. Remember that. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In whose image? His. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Fill the earth. Reign over the fish in the sea. There's that word again, rain. The birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that is what happened. We were created in the image of God. And then we were immediately given responsibility like immediately we were created to be responsible let me sum up the passage for you run around naked have babies rule the earth and hang out with God y'all that's a plan is that not the best plan you've ever heard (laughs) why am I getting no response for that like are you kidding me Basically, he's looking at Adam and Eve going, hey, all of this, I made it for you. You just get to run around. You get to be in charge of everything. It says have so many babies, you fill the earth. And y'all know what it takes to have babies. I mean, y'all, this is a plan. (laughs) The best plan. And then they just get to hang out with God. Like how many times have you wished you could just kind of walk along with God and ask all the questions, right? They did. The best of plans, all the responsibility, and one rule. One, there were no Ten Commandments. There was no set of laws that would eventually come to be. None of that. Literally, nothing to abide by by one rule. Don't eat the fruit. That's it. But when you think about it, if everyone in the world, at the time there were two, right? But if everyone in the world is responsible, do we really need rules? If everyone just does the right thing, you don't have to have any rules. And Adam and Eve were created perfectly. They were without sin. They didn't need any rules. And there was only one. The reason we need them all the time is because we're irresponsible people. We need more guardrails. The more and more out of control that we get. So the law actually becomes the bare minimum of what is expected. Because then somebody else comes along and does something that the law doesn't cover, and we have to make a new law that then covers that. The coffee is hot. Right? It started in the Bible with don't murder. Well, then it became also don't commit assault and battery. And then at some point it became don't slander. And now I think if you breathed wrong in someone's direction, you might get sued. As we progress through life and people get more out of control and more irresponsible, the more laws and rules we have to have. You were in class when you were little. Don't you remember when you were little kids and like somebody in the class would do something dumb and then everybody pays the consequences? Oh, now we can't go out to recess because JoJo ate like his crayon. I mean, do you remember that? <laughs> Little Susie was loud and talking on the carpet. And now, now we have to be late to lunch. I mean, do you remember this? When somebody did something and now there's a rule. Now there's a rule. All right. We were created for responsibility. So listen to this. That being true. That means when we are irresponsible, we are operating outside of God's design. So if God's design is responsible and we decide to be irresponsible, we're outside of his plan. And what that means is it breaks intimacy. What Adam and Eve did by breaking the one rule was break and fracture the relationship and make it impossible for them to continue to walk in the garden with God. Irresponsibility 
breaks intimacy with God, with people, with your own self. You know this. When you have relationships and you're a friend with someone or you have a family member or you've dated someone along the way and they become irresponsible, they don't fulfill what they said they would, they don't do what they say they were going to do, doesn't it break intimacy in the relationship? Doesn't it break trust? Doesn't it break your desire to really want to be close to them? That's what it does. Adam and Eve experienced an intimacy with God that you and I have never known. We've never known it. I long for it. I long for the day when I don't, when I don't get distracted when I'm trying to pray, right? I long for the day when I don't have anything between me and God. It's just me and him. I long for the day when, like Adam and Eve, I can recognize his footsteps in the garden. But there's all this mess, and there's all this confusion, and there's all this irresponsibility that keeps us from that intimacy. Let's keep going. Genesis 3. Let's look at the, let's, let's examine them breaking the rule, right? Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, this is outside my notes, kind of outside the topic, but as I'm reading, I'm thinking, have you ever... Um, received a promise from God, or you think God has told you something, and all of a sudden you find yourself hearing from the devil, mm, did God really say that? Did he really? I mean, did he really? You know, a lot of time has passed. You don't see it happening in your life. You know, maybe God didn't really say that. Have you guys experienced that? See, it's no new trick. It's an old trick. It's a real old trick by the devil. Verse 2. The devil continues to say, of course Oh, no, Eve says, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. You, if you do, you will die. You must not eat it or even what? Touch it. I don't know, maybe you didn't know that was even in there. We thought it was just not supposed to eat it. They weren't even supposed to touch it. They weren't even supposed to pick it and look at it. They were supposed to have nothing to do with it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was what? Convinced. Well, it didn't take much, did it? Ladies. Didn't take much. Women, I'm just saying. We should make people be more convincing. Now, all right. That was for free. Now. Means guys, you should be more convincing. Now, okay, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They heard God walking. Can you imagine? So they run and hide. They broke the one rule and they knew it. You know when you've done something wrong and you know it, you don't want to get caught and you just hide. You just hide. They knew they had been irresponsible with what God had entrusted to them. So verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He's walking, where are you, Adam? Is it because God didn't actually know where Adam was? I don't think so. I don't think God really wondered whether they were playing hide and seek. I don't think God really didn't know. Here's what I think was happening. It wasn't that God didn't know their physical location there had been a break in the intimacy, and God was saying, where are you? Um, you could be, you know how you could be with someone, but not with someone? Like they're with you, but you know they're not with you. Their presence is there. They could be sitting there. They could be standing there. They could even be looking at you, and you're like, I don't, I don't think we're together. I don't think you're with me. 
I think God was feeling the break, the absence that had been so tight, so close. And God is saying, Adam, where are you? It feels different. This fullness inside of me that was a part of me where we were, we were together, it's not, it's not there anymore. Verse 10. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree? Whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. So let's pause. Again, God says, did you eat the fruit? This is, there's such an easy answer here, right? Did you eat the fruit? What should Adam say? What should he say? I don't feel like all of you understand. Okay, so did, did Adam eat the fruit? He did. So when God said, did you eat the fruit? God, the creator of the universe who made Adam and knows everything, says, did you eat the fruit? Adam should probably just go ahead and say, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Here is what Adam said in verse 12. The man replied, it was the woman. Right? It was the woman you gave me. You, you gave her to me. I, I didn't ask for her. You gave me the woman and she gave me the fruit. And now look. It's the woman you gave me. I tried to tell her I did. Who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? What does the woman say? It was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. See, when we're irresponsible, when we do what we shouldn't do, isn't that when the blame games begin? Every time. It doesn't matter what we did. It doesn't matter how much we know we messed up. We will find a way that we don't have to own 100% of the problem. I love to put myself in the story and try to imagine what I would be saying, the argument that I would have created. I might have said, look, you gave us the right to choose. You don't want me to eat? Well, one, don't put the tree there. Two, don't make the fruit red. You know red's my favorite color. Why wouldn't you make the fruit something that doesn't even look appealing if you don't want to see if it's so bad, so bad? Why does it look so good and taste so good? I guess you weren't thinking. Right? You can't, what? You can't expect me to be perfect. Wait. Right. Well, we were perfect. I get it. But, I mean, I would have, I would have started to argue and blame, and there's a, there's a million different ways we could present it, I would think, but responsibility breaks intimacy, and that creates conflict. And we don't want to be mad at ourselves, so we have to find somebody else to be mad at. Conflict occurs. When you mess up, conflict happens. Irresponsible people are miserable people. You are happiest when you're being responsible. Now, you may not think so, but it's true, because I know, here's what we think. I don't know, Heather, because I know a lot of irresponsible people who feel real good about themselves, right? It's actually not true. Who you know are some irresponsible people that are in denial and doing whatever they need to do in life to numb the actual pain and truth about themselves. The people you think that feel good about their irresponsibility are the people who have just become very, very good at creating the defensive argument and about pointing the finger and seeming to escape the consequences. And our world will let them. If you're honest, you know you feel better about yourself when you're a responsible person, when you're a responsible employee, a responsible student, a responsible friend. Don't you feel better about yourself? Less like you want to hide. And when you aren't going to take responsibility for your actions, there's only the alternative, which is to blame. And so we begin to say things like, I wouldn't have yelled at you if you wouldn't have pushed my buttons. I wouldn't have said this if you wouldn't have said that. I would have paid that bill if this company hadn't sent me that bill. I wouldn't have gossiped if they hadn't talked about me first. I would do this if you would do that. I would if this. I would if this, right? 
There's always a reason, always an excuse, always a way that we shouldn't have had to do all of the things that we should have done. I'm amazed at how many adults still walk around with a they started it mentality. Grown adults. They started it. He started it. She started it. We were born, we were created for responsibility. Second truth is this. Irresponsibility is not neutral. Irresponsibility is not neutral. Anytime someone is irresponsible, someone else has to pick up the responsibility of the irresponsibility. Anytime a person, a company, a group, a family is irresponsible, some other person or group has to clean up the mess. Irresponsibility is not neutral. There's no such thing as, well, it's not hurting anyone, or this only affects me. It doesn't exist. No such thing. No one else existed when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and yet it's still affecting us, right? No one else was even in the world for it to affect. And we're still paying the consequences. You were created for responsibility. You guys know it. You guys know what it's like to feel the consequences of someone else's irresponsibility when, um, when kids have to bear the emotional weight of their mom and dad's irresponsible choices, right? Your mom or dad made decisions and you ended up having to carry the weight and the feeling of that. I've seen adult children have to clean up the mess after their parents die and all of the bad decisions that were made and now they're left with them. It's when a company's losing money and time because you decide to come in late and do the bare minimum. It's when a coworker finishes your to-do list because you didn't want to stay late and fulfill responsibility. Y'all, we were created to be responsible, and it's very true that it's not neutral. Somebody else has always impacted you. Know it because you've been that person, but you should also know you've been the person that caused it. We all have. We've all caused unnecessary impact. All right. I want you to think, you may not have to think very hard, you may not have to go back very far, but I want you to think of a current frustration or conflict. It could be you're frustrated with a person, it could be a job, it could be a class, it could be a circumstance, it could be a situation. I just want you to think about right now your current biggest frustration, whatever it is, okay? And I'm going to make this circle, let's call it a pie, and say that this represents your current frustration. Again, can be a person, can be a circumstance, whatever it is. This is what it is. If this is the entirety of the frustration, how much of it, how much of this pie would you have to eat because it would be yours? I mean... You know, is it, is it a decent size? Is this much your fault of the entire circumstance? No? Too much? Okay. What about like that? Is that much? Like if you had to say, okay, I'm going to take my slice of the pie that's mine to own, the part of this whole frustration that I created, and maybe it's that tiny. Is this still too big? Okay. Some of you are like, that's mine. That's my slice. Are you kidding me? My current frustration, I didn't cause it. I didn't do it. It happened to me. I'm in the middle of it. You don't even know this person. If you knew this person, you would know the whole pie is theirs. If you knew this class, if you knew this professor, if you knew this place I worked, if you knew my family, right? You would know that the whole thing is theirs. None of it's mine. But see, I think it's always, there's always a piece of the pie that is ours. And we hate it. Because it's so much easier to deal with someone else's responsibility because we have all the answers for them. When somebody else is making poor decisions, don't you know what to tell them? Let me help you. And we tell them. We always know how to fix other people's problems. 
But when we have the same circumstances, we seem dumbfounded at what to do about them or how to fix them or, or how to make them better. We don't like when irresponsibility affects our lives. My kids hate it. Oh, they hate it. My kids think that they do more in this life than I do. They tell us this. They say, oh, we hope that someday we grow up to be parents and we can have children that can do everything like we do everything for you and dad. That's right, a bunch of ungrateful urchins is what I have. <laughs> That's right, I have three of them, mm -hmm. 16, 13, and 8. Are you joking? Like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, you, you're, you're, your life is hard? Okay, so they were complaining on one particular day that they just had too many chores, too much to do. Like, they have to go to school all day. They have to go to recess twice. And then someone serves them lunch. I mean, hard things. So they came home one day, and they had some chores, and they didn't like it, and they started complaining about it. And, and I said, you know what? Fine. You don't want to be a responsible, contributing member of this family. Neither do I. I'm out. I'm not making you dinner. I'm not washing your clothes. I'm not picking up after you. You know what? And I'm not driving you to school, and I'm not picking you up. I'm doing nothing. It's going to be amazing. Mama's taking the week off because, you know what? I'm tired. I got stuff to do. I'm stressed. I'm out. I don't want to have to fulfill my responsibilities. And their little faces were like, what? Like, when? Like, you're going to stop make dinner tomorrow or, like, now? So, like, no mac and cheese? I mean, like, all these. So, I mean, right, you're not going to make us walk to school, right? But, but I'm like, I'm out. You, I mean, you have no idea. But we, we want other people to be responsible while we don't have to. We want perfection from others and average for ourselves. Don't we? I mean, we just think you should fulfill everything that you say you're going to do. You should do everything you say you're going to do. You should never mess up. You should never make a mistake. Me? Well, I'm not perfect. You don't expect me to be. I'm human. Why can't you forgive me? My kids is a funny one. I've had a lot of them in my life that aren't funny. Where I've had to figure out what part of a pie to own and I really didn't think any of it was mine. And honestly, if on paper, it really, I mean, to most people to say, here's the situation, you would go, well, none of that's your fault, Heather. I mean, I've had a lot of that. One in particular. Back in 2004, so um, I'm in my late 20s, and um, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad had been my pastor my whole life, um, always. I, I had been in church since I was in the womb, never known any different, and I idolized my dad. I mean, I was daddy's little girl. I went everywhere with him. And then one day I discovered that this world I thought that I'd been living in was not the world I thought it was, and I discovered that my dad was having an affair. He's the pastor of our church. My mom has no idea. I'm the only one and my husband who know. And then I would discover a few years later that it hadn't been just that one. It had been over and over and over again for my entire childhood life. The whole time that he was teaching me and guiding me and showing me what it meant to be a believer and follower of Jesus. And the whole time he was up on the platform delivering God's word. The whole time that my mom was doing everything she could to serve our family and to make it work. And to make it work for my dad that was working 80, 90 hours a week and letting ministry take over our lives. And um, I felt like... Was anything in my whole life real? Was any of it true? Who is this man? Who is this person? I don't even know how to look at you. I don't even know how to talk to you. None of it looked like mine to hold. After it all came out and life blew up and all kinds of consequences for him and 
our family and all kinds of all kinds of things. My mom and dad decided to choose to heal their marriage and to restore their marriage. By the way, all of this came out in their 60s. Like life has gone by, right? And they began a process of healing, restoration, counseling, like a few years of it. And today, they're better than I've ever known them to be. They fought hard and they fought long. But here's what started to happen. As my dad began to heal and take ownership of what he did, his part of the pie began to diminish. And what I did was stay angry. And what I did was not forgive. And what I did was say, you'll never be, you'll never be to me who you once were. I kept him at a distance. I stopped speaking to him. I began to let bitterness take root in my soul, in my life, until this day came where my mom and my dad had found forgiveness and wholeness, and I'm standing there, a very angry person. All of a sudden, the pie, you know, went like, this is theirs, and all of this is mine. Because there's nothing I can do about his irresponsibility and his choices. There's a whole lot I can do about mine. And if I want to be free in this life and I want to be whole in this life, then I can't, I can't blame other people for my emotions. I can't blame other people for my choices. I can't blame them for my anger. I can't blame them for what they've done. They've done what they've done, and they will have to pay those consequences, and they will have to stand before God, and they will have to do all of those things. All I can do is what I can do, which means all I can do is make sure that my spirit and my soul is freed up. All I can do is make sure that when I lay in bed at night, I am not rehearsing the conversations and the things I would like to say. All I can do is make sure that when I'm going about my day and making my choices in this life, that I am doing them in alignment and surrender with what God would have me to do. You know what I really learned in all that? I learned I had to start accepting more of the pie when I started to believe, and I would have never admitted it then, I would only admit it years later, that because of what he did, I thought I was better than him. Like I actually thought he was less than me, of less value than me, because I would have never done that to my family. I'd forgotten that I'd been forgiven of a whole lot. I'd forgotten that there's a list of irresponsible things that I could confess to you that are ridiculous and horrible and harmful. In fact, my dad stood before me one day, crying, broken, and I'm not excusing his choices. I'm just telling you, I'm not excusing it. I'm just telling you about the reality of the process. And he, and he looked at me as I was just spewing venom. He said, Heather, I've forgiven you of so much. Can you forgive me? I had to own that responsibility. If you're a Christian, you don't get to be irresponsible. You just don't. Because ultimately we're accountable to God. And Christians should be the most responsible people on the planet. We understand that everything's connected. We should be the hardest workers and the people that actually do what we say we're going to do. Because we should want our responsibility to build intimacy. Isn't the only way to have a whole pie for everyone to own their peace? It's the only way for it to be whole. It's the only way for it to be complete. For everybody to say, that's mine and that's mine and that's mine and that's mine. So my question to you as the band comes is what do you need to take responsibility for in your life? Where are you irresponsible? Do you need to forgive someone? Do you have sin in your life? 
do you know you have the reputation for being irresponsible and you just feel like you've been so irresponsible you don't know how to get your way back? You don't know how to climb back up the ladder of approval in somebody's eyes who's just deemed you irresponsible? What do you need to take responsibility for? Have you hurt someone and you've not apologized? Have you used someone and you have not admitted that? Have you taken? Have you stolen? Have you cheated? Have you avoided? Which one of these is missing from your life? Which one of these is absent? Which one could someone not say of you? Where are you being irresponsible? What is God calling you to and you're not responding? Would you bow your heads with me? you to do something really brave and bold, okay? If you have some irresponsibility in your life that you just need to own up to, that you just need to get honest about, admit, confess, Stop blaming. You don't have to say what it is, but what I want to ask you to do is to stand up. If you have irresponsibility in your life, I want you to stand. You don't have to say what it is, just stand up. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I want you to confess it to the Lord I want you to say Jesus I have been irresponsible with and then just name it confess it just tell him tell him what it is if you need to say it out loud to make it more powerful feel free feel free to just whisper it there in your seat What have you not followed through on? What have you been living years blaming for? What do you need to do? Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you've known it. And you're sorry it's taken you this long to confess it. Now I want you to ask him, is there anything you need to do to make it right. Ask him and be willing to listen and hear right now. Ask him and listen. And don't dismiss it. Maybe he's going to tell you to talk to someone. You need to go tell someone you're sorry. Maybe he's going to tell you you need to go offer forgiveness to someone. Maybe he's going to tell you you need to go fulfill this obligation or, or follow through with a commitment. Maybe he's going to tell you you need to stop something or you need to start something. Don't dismiss it. He's talking to you. Now, if you intend to, and only if you intend to, only if you're going to, I want you to commit to him that you will do it.
And if you're not going to do it, just tell him that too. I can't do it right now. Lord, I just can't do it. Ask him to give you the strength and the boldness and the bravery and the courage and the wisdom. Ask him to build you into a responsible person full of virtue. And Heavenly Father, I come to you on just on behalf of all of us and of everyone in this room, Lord. And we do, we confess to you that we have irresponsibility in our life and things that we just sweep under the rug and things we ignore, things we know we should do that we don't. We treat other people flippantly. Uh, Father, we, we use them for our own selfish purposes. Lord, we hold unforgiveness in our souls and we let what someone did to us excuse our behavior. We let someone else's choices against us somehow make what we do um, perfectly acceptable. We expect perfection from others, Lord, and we expect average from ourselves, and we just confess it to you. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. Father, would you do a new thing in this place? Father, the decisions that we're making, the decisions that these men and women are making in their, at their age, in their stage, in their generation are the decisions that will determine who they are. Father, I pray that we would care more about who we are than what we do. Father, I pray that it would be our character and our heart that seeks you before all other things. That we would come to you, not always just for direction, Lord, but that we would come to you for the affection of walking in the garden. Father, would you gift that to us? Would you give that to us for your glory and your kingdom, Father? Would you help us build our life on you? Build our life on you. In your name, amen.